0: You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the writer and director for Pixar's Turning Red. Don't Let's go. I'm Maylin Lee. I wear what I want, say what I want, 24-7-365. I've never no I know, it's a lot. But like, I don't got time to mess around. You move my All about the hustle, am I right?
1: You're never on
0: my. Oh, poor town. Oh my. This is going to be the best year ever. Yes. And nothing's going to get in my way. All right. Uh. Oh. Oh.
1: Oh. Oh. <gasps> <gasps> Maymay, breakfast is ready. It's coming.
0: It's gonna be me.
1: Ah! Is everything okay?
0: I'm a gross red monster.
1: <laughs> Don't look at me. Stay back. This happened already? What did you say?
0: You might hurt
1: by
0: our ancestors had a mystical connection with red pandas. Are you kidding me? This little quirk oh. runs right in our family. Oh.
1: Sick. I've always wanted a tail. I'm
0: a freak. We love you, May. You're our girl. <sighs> Whoa. You're you. Any strong emotion yes! will release the panda. Abby, hit me. <gasps> oh! ah! Do you know how dangerous this is? You'll get whipped up into a frenzy and panda all over. perfect little May May. Yeah. but maybe i like this new me <laughs> mama's girls <laughs> tell <Stop. laughs> <laughs> me i am such a big fan thank you so much for taking time to talk with me about your film turning red yeah of course so I know Pixar films take forever to make um, and they often change a lot throughout production. Um, so I was wondering how different is Turning Red from what you originally pitched?
1: Mm, uh, yeah, I feel like the thing that stayed the most consistent were the main characters like this and this central relationship between this tween girl and her mom and her struggling with magical puberty. Uh, And growing up, Uh, I I always pitched it that way. Um, And the plot itself changed a lot throughout production. When I initially pitched Turning Red, um, it was a story about a girl struggling with being her mom's perfect daughter uh, and this, you know, raging hormonal magical beast that emerges from her. But um, there was also this subplot with um, this family feud. There were more characters There was this um, aunt that that uh, was in the story uh, and the aunt and May's mother were fighting over control of the temple. May had a male cousin who also turned into a red panda Uh, dude, (laughs) a male red panda. And it was more about um, this family feud Uh, and less focused on um, you know like female puberty and and uh, this uh, you know the relationship between mothers and daughters and grandmothers and um, I think through working with Julia Cho our writer for the movie um, we realized that like you know you only have so much time uh, or you only have so much screen time to talk about one thing and uh I think the element the, the theme that really resonated with me was this like mother-daughter story and how um different generations deal with puberty with growing up with dealing with their emotions and I think we latched onto that and uh cut everything else around uh that theme that that didn't like that that wasn't directly exploring that theme. Um yeah.
0: What were the things that made you hone in on female puberty, <laughs> working with this relationship between mothers and daughters? Uh, topics typically avoided honestly um, in in film.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's exactly that. It's that these topics are not really talked about or explored in movies. And we thought it'd be such a great opportunity using this movie uh, as, a pl- as a platform to really like dive into uh, puberty through the lens of a girl struggling to come to terms with her body and her emotions and her mom um, and um, I really just wanted this movie to be for my 13 year old self uh, who was going through all of the things that May was going through um, at the time and um you know, really just uh, kind of use this movie as an opportunity to show the world, like uh, to show men and boys um, a deeper look inside the girls and women in their lives. And just to kind of open that up a bit and just to reveal different aspects and dimensions to these weird, wonderful creatures that they uh, share their lives with.
0: That's amazing. Well, you you did just, you know, compare yourself to the character seeing yourself in the story. Um obviously, uh, that, like we said, there is this central mother-daughter relationship. I I don't know how much of this is is, you know, reflective of your relationship with your mom, but mm-hmm. I am curious what your mom thinks of this film uh what what she thought or what conversations you might have had leading up if you warned her you know about anything i'm just curious what that uh reaction was
1: yeah uh so i had made a short film uh before turning red called bow that was also inspired by my relationship with my mother but told more from the mother's point of view And my mom's one request when I started this movie was make sure the mother is more attractive this time. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, noted. Um, (laughs) But uh, I I mean, I I told her, beforehand that you know like this movie is going to take inspiration from our lives but i'm going to exaggerate it um and abstract it and just you know make it fun and crazy and entertaining for for animation it's not going to be a one to one don't look too too closely at the characterization of the mom um and uh uh when i finally did show her and my father the the finished movie um this was at the premiere in toronto Um, you know, both of them had very like, uh, in character responses to the movie. So my dad is like, he's, he's more sensitive and, you know, more like wears his heart on his sleeve, uh, versus my mom. So he like cried. He was so proud of me. He like said that all on the spot right after the movie. And then my mom, I think it took her like a day to fully process the movie and she was very you know like very like high spirited very happy but then she like the next day sent me a really really long text like kind of analyzing all of the details of the movie that she loved and I didn't I was like blown away by like she, she, she like mentioned like little things like hair color and I love how you did this and this and this and then she ends the whole text with uh I hope I was a good mother and of course I was like crying. And I was like, of course, and, and, and I texted back, you know, of course you were, I couldn't be here without you. I love you mom. Da, 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 da. And then she responds back through text. I'm crying now. And I, and I responded, me too, mom. So that was like our, our like cathartic mother daughter uh, moment, but it was done like after the fact and through text, which seems very Asian and appropriate. <laughs>
0: That's really beautiful, though. Uh, was she uh, was she pleased with the character design?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, she's so <laughs> proud of the movie. She's so and she's so flattered that Sandra O oh played her. It was so funny uh, at the premiere in Toronto. Like she finally got to meet Sandra O, oh, and and all she could say, like she was so starstruck. All she could say was like, "Sandra Oh, I love you. I I love you." <laughs> she said it three times, and I was like, "Wow!" Like she ne- she literally never says "I love you" to me. <laughs> her own daughter. And that was actually like a thing that we had to battle, like, like through the movie, like the, the, the writing of the movie was that like, Oh, we can't have the mother say, I love you to the, to the daughter. Cause you know, uh, Asian moms don't say it with words, but she just said it. So like freely to Sandra, I was like, what? Come on. Wow. Wow.
0: <laughs> oh man. Why do you, I feel like these days, so many um animated films are tackling these relationships between whether it's mothers and daughters, just parents and their children, why do you think this is such a a topic that we're seeing so much more of these days? Uh, I feel like we typically have avoided r- working through our parent and children relationships, but now we seem to be more open with it.
1: Yeah, I think it honestly is like this generation of filmmakers, like I think you know millennials and beyond. I think we, um are kind of uh more encouraged or in in tune with our emotions you know we promote going to therapy we promote like you know uh, uh unpacking why we feel a certain way whereas i think like maybe our parents generation or older generations were taught to kind of suppress it or to kind of ignore it um and i think you're kind of seeing with this new crop of filmmakers um that they're no longer just trying to like push it aside or put like a one-dimensional face to you know a bad guy or um you know some a a traumatic experience that happens in a character's past that um I think there's like a, a need and a want to kind of dive deeper into why people are the way that they are uh, I know that's the case for me, too. Like, I think for a long time, um, I didn't want to visit that part of my my childhood and, and my teenhood because it was so embarrassing and so cringy and so weird and um, kind of just accepted that, uh, yeah, you know, parents are this way and teens are this way and that's it. But um, I think... Uh, you know, through the process at Pixar, where they really kind of like force you to kind of dive deeper into the characters and not just tell one-dimensional stories about good guys and bad guys, I think I was able to kind of, you know, uh, discover a lot about um, not just myself, but also like my mom and like the perspective that, of, you know, what it's like to be uh, an immigrant uh, parent and and why, you know, this like image uh, or or this idea of like a tiger mom even comes into play or like, like where that even came from. So I think, yeah, I think it's all just from this, uh, this like want to uh, um, understand people
0: more. In putting that story on the screen, you know, the movie's almost a year old at this point or a year since its release. Uh, What are you most proud of?
1: Wow. um, Even care if they are. We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at Evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. I mean, I'm so I'm proud of so many things about the movie. I think I think I'm most proud of um I think the ending. uh, the ending of the movie you know, where we're at the four town concert and May's family are there and it's just, and it all culminates into this crazy, weird, wonderful mashup of, you know, a four town song with Taoist chanting and, and orchestrate and, you know, like, like, uh, like an orchestral score and there's like magic and the entire, uh, stadium is singing, uh, It just it just felt so satisfying and and so amazing that we were able to achieve that emotional moment. Cause on paper it um it did, you know, like I it was a hard sell because I was like, yeah, it's gonna be like a like a musical mashup and no one knew if Dallas chanting and 90s boy band music would sound good together. Uh, but I had hope um that that it would because it symbolically represented you know, May and, and and um and the journey that she went through of like understanding that she's not this or that. She can't choose between East or West or her family and her friends and, and herself. That it's all of it. It's all like a beautiful, messy thing. Um, and I'm just so proud that we were able to show that instead of say it, we like actually showed it with music and animation and and and, and like Colors and, and and imagery and 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 you felt it, um, and that that whole moment came together at the very very end too. Uh, it was something that like took literally the entire team, uh, the the entire crew to to do. Uh, so that that moment is what I'm most proud of.
0: Well, I definitely had wanted to ask you about the music of the film. I mean, the firepower you've got in this film is crazy. Billie Eilish, Phineas, Ludwig Goranson, crazy. Tell me about putting together the the music for this film from the Four Town Songs to the score.
1: Yeah, so we knew... Early on that, you know, like we need a good music for this movie. Um, but the that that the story element of May and her friends wanting to get to the concert, like that wasn't in the initial draft. That was something that we that, that kind of landed maybe in the second or third screening. Um, because we thought, like, oh, like, why not play into her character, like play into the specificity of being 13, how it does feel like life or death getting to a concert. And um, once we realized that the role of Fortown was going to be much bigger, um, I think it was Lindsay who brought up the idea of like, why not uh enlist the help of the people who can speak to that generation of, of kids and young adults who can like write lyrics that can like speak to you know May and her friends' hearts. And uh and uh we were like were We didn't know if Billy and Phineas were going to say yes, but we made a very earnest May-like fleet to them, like we actually uh, constructed a scrapbook <laughs> that was like for Billy and Phineas, and we like cut it out of like newspaper uh, lettering. It, it it like felt very like thirteen. It felt very tween and fun. We like made fake ticket stubs. Uh, we like made fake Post-it uh notes, just like a pitch package that like basically sold, um, the vibe of the, of the movie and, and what their what we wanted their role to be is basically like, do you guys want to create a boy band with us? Um, and who can say no to that? Uh, and, uh, and they said yes. And that was amazing. And, um, and I think it's because, you know, like Billy, you know, she, she comes from that world as well. Like she was obsessed with Justin Bieber. She had his, you know, photos and posters, plastered all over her uh bedroom so i think she she, like knew what it was like to want to go to a concert so badly um and uh and yeah then when we thought about the the score for the movie like we realized like we need somebody who could like not just come up with like big dramatic exciting you know like music to like, uh, uh, score all the emotional moments of the movie, but we also needed them to like, have like some knowledge of pop and music production. Cause it'd be great to incorporate some of the, uh, four town songs and that, that element into the score itself. And then Ludwig Goransson's name, just like, you know, like it, it felt so obvious cause he has so much experience, not just with film score, but with music production as well. Um, and we pitched it to him, and I think it resonated with him as well. Um, so it all just kind of came together. But we we actually like every single time we like we poured our hearts out and we like pitched the shit <laughs> out of the movie and really tried to get um, each collaborator kind of on board with with May and 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 her character and her journey.
0: Well worth it. I love the four sound songs. It's so good, <laughs> uh, and the score as well. Amazing. Well, this is your directorial debut, your featured directorial debut for Pixar. And also, you have the distinction of being one of the youngest Pixar directors, which is really cool. And so I was kind of thinking, I'm I'm guessing you're probably the first Pixar feature director to have grown up, at least in some way, watching Pixar films. Um, I feel like that gives you, so I got to give you a unique perspective, right? Helming, helming a Pixar film now?
1: Yeah, it's pretty surreal. I mean, I tried not to think too much about it while I was making Turning Red because it just it would feel so daunting, like having such big shoes to fill. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I definitely leaned a lot on Pete Doctor our EP, and um, and it, it it and it gave me some comfort knowing that when he first made Monsters Inc, he was also quite young as well, and he didn't know what he was doing um as well so i kind of I, yeah i i i leaned on that i'm like okay i'm like not the very first young director he did it too i just have to make something just as good as monsters inc okay <laughs> no no pressure no big deal <laughs> um but i think also too just like thinking about how different each pixar film is and real and you know reminding myself it's not about you know, like, I can't be Pete doctor. I can't be Andrew. I can't be Brad. I have to just be myself and create this, my, my own lane. Um, and I think that's, that's what helped me not get too overwhelmed with, with, with the pressure of like, I can't like, I'm not going to be better. I'm just going to be different. (laughs) Yeah. Well, speaking of pressure, the
0: film received rare reviews, now getting awards buzz, awards nominations, those sorts of things. And obviously, you're you're already an Oscar winner for Bao. Um, and so you've been through this whole weird award season thing before. What feels different or does anything feel different this second time around going through award season?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I haven't done it in a while. The last time I did it was like four or five years ago for Bao. I guess I just forgot about the whole, like the whole, you know, Hollywood, uh, uh, circus. It's it's kind of a circus and you kind of just have to surrender to it and just have fun and just go along for the ride. Um, I think the biggest difference this time is, uh, more people have seen Turning Red and because it was a feature film, I'm in like, uh, I'm, I'm in different rooms with like I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm. I'm. I, it's like I'm a kid at the adults' table now, uh, which still feels kind of freaky. Uh, like, you know, chatting with people like Ryan Johnson or James Cameron, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm. I I'm your peer. How is that possible? <laughs> uh, but no, no. I, I have to keep reminding myself it is. I am technically their peer, and I have to try to get them to watch a movie and love it too. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm just you know have having fun this time around it's it feels a lot bigger uh and more overwhelming but really fun at the at the same time it's I mean all of this like it doesn't matter and it does too it's weird it's like it's the glitzy cherry on top of a already impressive Sunday. um but the movie's done it's been received really well it, it reached the audience that it was supposed to and now it's just about celebrating it and I feel like it's like for me, it's about celebrating all of the amazing work that the crew has done. And just, you know, um, I will continue to, you know, champion that. So Yeah,
0: absolutely. And we want to keep celebrating it. Such an amazing film. One last question before I let you go. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, something amazing that you used to do on Instagram is post sketches as of, of films that you were watching. And one of my favorite things you did that you look nervous. I I hope this doesn't make you
1: <laughs> wait, which one? Uh,
0: one of my favorite things that you've done is uh you, you reviewed a year's movies as if they were food.
1: Yeah.
0: And had amazing <laughs> wow. sketches for those. Yes. Uh, I think I think you had Dunkirk as like a hearty piece of toast with <laughs> with like hand churned butter. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you were to draw a few sketches, films from this year, and review them as foods. Uh, hit me with a couple what what would you draw
1: Ooh. Ooh. uh okay um of everything everywhere uh it's too easy to say like a bagel it has to be something else it has to be like um what, it, what, what would it be it'd be like some kind of fusion dish like a mm. like a like a sushi cake with like different ingredients in there, like like a mashup of different like Asian and Western ingredients for every tier. And then you'd bake it. Uh and it'd be like delicious, but like weird and not something you've ever seen before. Um let's see Avatar. Uh what would that be? I would just be like a like a really satisfying but really like uh f- like filling um like traditional uh like I don't know like like Thanksgiving meal like like it, it's it goes on for three hours long and there's multiple courses but it's all classic ingredients like it's turkey it's not anything like it, but it's really, really, really well, well made. And the stuffing is like amazing and stuff, but it's like really, and, and it's like crowd pleasing and everyone loves it and everyone loves pumpkin pie. You know, like it, it'd be that kind of a a, a meal. And then um start, I like glass onion. I guess that would be like, what would that be? That would be like, again, it's like in the title. <laughs> <Glass> <laughs> onion. but I guess it would be like, um, oh, it'd be like a, like something like a deconstructed, uh, you know, like a like a deconstructed shepherd's pie or something, where like each it'd be like a potato, and then peas, and then like some pastry puff on the side. Like everything will be laid out very clearly and separately and very and very spelled out. <laughs> That's, all That's all I got. That's I got. I love <laughs> it. I
0: love it. Maybe we can see some of those sketches another time. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well don't we again. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the film and and best of luck.
1: Thank you so much,
0: Daniel. Have a Thank good you. one. Thank you. Hi. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the writer and director of Turning Red, Bill Nye here on the next Best Picture podcast. Turning Red is up for your consideration for this year's Academy Awards for Best Animated Future Film.